hi everybody and welcome to this episode of the Business Disability Forum podcast. Today my guest is Ian Wilkie. Ian is a former senior partner at EY where he was part of the firm's UK and Ireland leadership team and also the senior sponsor for the firm's Ability EY network. In addition to his wider support for disability inclusion, Ian has become well known for his pioneering leadership on stammering at work. Most recently, Ian has become the founder of the 50 Million Voices campaign. This is an international leadership campaign that involves 15 countries working together to transform the world of work for people who stammer and for their employers. In addition, Ian is also a leadership coach with several of his clients being leaders and managers with disabilities who he supports to unleash their full potential at work. So Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Great to be here, Brendan. Thank you. I'm really glad that you could join us and, and looking forward to, to speaking with you. So maybe before we dive into 50 Million Voices, we could talk a bit about, about you and, and your background. So you've had a successful career and held a leadership position with one of the world's most high profile accounting firms. Even from the, the short introduction I gave you, clearly at some point during that career, disability inclusion and in particular stammering has become a real focus for you. So I wondered if you could tell us a bit about where did that interest come from? And, and also at what point did it start to become part of your professional life? Well, I've always had an interest in stammering, I suppose, since really the age of seven or eight, where as a little boy, I started to develop a, 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 a stammer. And it troubled me in different ways uh, it, through my later boyhood and my teenage years. And then interviewing for university and interviewing to get my first job it, in fact it it, it kind of determined which which firm I went to because the firm I joined um, was called Arthur Young and they only had w w one interview and all the other firms I was applying to had two so AY gave me an interview uh, I got offered a job and was I wouldn't say it was the only factor but it was a key factor in in determining where which of the big eight accounting firms as they were then I, I joined and, and then in my early career as somebody with a stammer you learn pretty quickly that it can be painful to stammer people giggle people laugh people sometimes tease you so you start to be very skilled at avoiding situations and certainly in my early career I was very good at avoiding speaking up in meetings I definitely avoid presenting uh, whether that be on training courses or, or, or more formal situations so I got behind really in those key skills. I was really lucky in that, in that I had a mentor who picked, who picked this up and would try and talk to me about my stammer. And, and actually I, I, I refused to talk about it with him, but over time and, and particularly going, trying to make it through to partner, the first time I went to the partner assessment center, I didn't get through. And I was told one of the reasons was because I took too much time to try and make my points. And what I was really doing was trying to avoid words that I knew I'd stammer on because I didn't think they'd ever make me a partner if, if the assessors who are all senior partners realized that I stammered because you know, as, as a EY partner, I felt you were expected to always come across as being confident and, and articulate and, and stammering is associated with lack of confidence and hesitation. Anyway, the feedback I got was, um, look, we know we picked up that you have a stammer, come back next year and have another go. And I went back next year more confident that I could stammer and I got through. So, but even as a partner, it still troubled me. And actually what really brought it to a head was three or four situations which really felt like 
stammering disasters about um, around 2009-2010, so 10 years ago, um, one of which was reading in Southwark Cathedral at the memorial service for that partner who had really backed me, who'd really been my mentor. Um, and I, I stammered a lot as, as I read. And um, I, I remember one word, I was, it was sort of bouncing. I couldn't get this word out. And, and it was sort of bouncing back at me from the far wall of the cathedral. I, I took three breaths to get this word out. And I just felt, gosh, you know, you're having this successful career, but your stammer is still, you know, your relationship with your my stammer is really un, unhealthy. It's troubling me. I felt really embarrassed. I felt ashamed that I hadn't read well. I defined, you know, looking back on it, it's quite interesting that I defined reading well as not stammering, as opposed to reading with authenticity. <laughs> you know, I didn't. And I reached out to the British Stammering Association. And, and, and then a year later, I, I launched the, a, a stammering network at EY, which has now been going nine years, EY, where I was a partner. And from there, I got really interested in the whole dynamic of at the the the, um, the culture of, of 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 fluent speaking at work, the sort of fluency god, as 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 we call it, doesn't matter what you say, as long as you say it in a fluent and smooth way. The sort of conspiracy of silence around stammering. Nobody would speak about stammering. I hadn't spoken about stammering at work for twenty five years. I was determined to hide it. So I really got interested in it. And then in twenty thirteen, I formed the Employers Stammering Network, um, which was looking to branch out from EY and get other employers interested in forming a network for their employees who stammered. Um, last year, I launched uh, a global stammering network called 50 Million Voices, which I calculated using some UN data that there's over 50 million people of employable age in the world who, who stammer or stutter, same, same thing. And I, and I love this sense of you know, these, all these voices uh, you know, 50 million, 10 million bigger than the world's biggest metropolitan area, Tokyo. So 50 million voices, a heck of an, a, a lot of people at work who are either out of work because of our speech or in work, but in the wrong job and, and some in the right job. So that's why I called it 50 million voices. So that's been my journey with, with, with stammering and, and particularly stammering at work. And um, that's how I find myself here today. <laughs> Thank you. It's really interesting to, to hear you describe that journey. and sort of increasing I don't know acceptance and, and openness and about about the fact that you sound interesting that like until relatively recently I guess you were still sort of reticent or, or, or working hard to to keep elements of, of, of your stammer from from colleagues and you know I just wondered maybe we, if I could unpick that a little bit more before we, we talk about 50 million voices because clearly you had a, a senior role in, in the firm but you also had this senior level responsibility for championing disability and I mean I've certainly seen in the, in the 10 years that I've been working in this in this space there are far more senior business leaders now who are whether they have a disability or, or not who are willing to uh, champion and put their support behind this this issue which is, has been an amazing amazing change over the over the last few years but when I think about the number of those those leaders who are open about having a disability or long-term condition themselves it's quite small and I was, you think she thinking back to was EY research actually that they did in partnership with the, the valuable 500 last year which I think was around that something like one in five senior leaders with a disability do not feel comfortable admitting that and clearly you were sort of in that bracket yourself at one point in your career and I just why do you think that is thinking about leaders with other conditions why they might choose to hide that what makes it so difficult for them to be open about this 
I think it's 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 personal for everybody, really. I, I think it's it's one of these things whereby once you shared about your condition, your disability, which for most of us, for most of our lives, or society and the world of employment has seen these conditions as as weaknesses, whether they be physical or less visible disabilities. So it's only in the last few years that I think cultural mindsets and acceptance have really started to shift quite significantly. I mean, mental health would, 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 would be a great example of that. So I, I think to start sharing openly about something that we've always thought is a weakness is really, is really quite a major milestone. And to do that when you're very senior, when you, in a sense, have achieved a lot and it's a long way down, whilst you have the platform, once it's out there, you can't bring it back. So, so, so there's a, a kind of risk and reward trade-off here. My own view is that it's one of the best things I ever did, actually, you know, was to start talking more openly about my stammer. And I did it really because I got to a point where I thought, I just, want, I just don't want other people to really go through some of the pain that I went through, all being, albeit some of that was a long time ago. And if I can help just one person, it'll be worth it. So I started to share my story and what I found was, oh gosh, I got tremendously positive responses to it from very surprising quarters, including actually from Steve Varley, who's the chairman of EY in the UK and Ireland. And Steve was tremendously supportive, I felt to me personally, um, as well as people right, right across EY then and, and outside the firm. So what I found that as, as a senior person, sharing my story, which I share sort of wholeheartedly. So people would sort of pick up, I think, on the authenticity of it and, and the vulnerability of it, seemed to be able to have a much bigger impact than, than I could ever imagine. So, so my encouragement would be, yeah, you know, if you really, if, if, if you're in a senior position, <laughs> that won't last forever, you, you have a, a period of time in which you can really make a big difference um, for people that have not only your own condition, but, but other conditions, other differences. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. Um, and really changing culture and changing attitudes towards disability. When we're at the top of an organization, we have a huge opportunity to, to, to shift culture and to encourage our colleagues that are also in senior positions uh, to come with us. And, and, and to explain that actually this isn't as risky or as expensive as you probably think it is. It's actually relatively low risk most of the time. It's relatively inexpensive, often free to make these adjustments. And the cultural benefits, not only for people with disabilities, but for other differences can be huge. So, you know, my personal encouragement would be, wow, you've got an opportunity if you're a senior leader and you have something to share, then grab that opportunity because it, it, it may not last that long. And secondly, I can honestly say it's, it's generally one of the best things I've done because I've just felt, I felt a, a great sense of, of purpose through it. But more importantly, I think it's, it, it's helped others to, um, to follow and, and others to share their own experiences as well. And, and so there's this sort of ripple effect that goes out a long way. From my position as somebody with dyslexia, I certainly recognize some of those avoidance tactics if you if if you like you know there are certainly but in in writing I'll, I'll i'll avoid words you know that certainly held me back in exams for example where i would 
skirt around a point rather than rather than use words that I knew I, I, I couldn't spell and yeah. ducking out of anything in a you know in a group scenario that might involve writing on a on a board you know, things yeah. like that that can potentially hold you back but we were talking having a conversation earlier in with, with colleagues about neurodiversity which is a term that you know is becoming more more well known and dyslexia certainly part of that and you know, I've certainly seen dyslexia rise up the you know the agenda in terms of, of of prominence again the last 10 years i mean it's, it's almost cool to be dyslexic these days you know people like richard branson being very very open and uh, you know do, do you see stammering as part of that neurodiversity conversation and you know where do you think it is there a rank you know in terms of prominence like where do you where do you see it in in a pecking order if there is one of, of those types yeah. of conditions i think just point out that both Elvis and Marilyn Monroe both had stammers, so there's something there about um, being being cool sort of role role models. But sort of joking aside, um, yeah, stammering comes from a neurological difference in in the way the speech elements of our brain are are wired. I mean, speaking is an incredibly complex um, activity for for um, for us as as humans to engage in, and and people and a lot of work has been done around looking at the brains of people who stammer and the people who don't stammer or, or stutter as, as it's also called and people the brains of people who stammer are different now what we don't know is why but we do know that over 80 percent of people who stammer uh there is a genetic link and and there's a stammering gene um and we also know that uh, four out of five adults who stammer are male um, which actually means that for for women who stammer, you know, minority within a minority can be a really tough and, and quite lonely place to be. Um, so, yeah, so stammering comes from this neurological difference. And, you know, there is similar to dyslexia, there is um, research and indeed from some workshops that we ran, actually both for the EY Stammer Network, for the Employer Stammer Network, looking at the strengths of, or trying to find our strengths and, and did they relate to our, our life journey with our stammer. Um, was consistent with research, both UK and U US research, which suggests that people who stammer will develop you know, greater resilience, certainly greater empathy for, for others, creativity, and better listening skills as, as well. So yeah, there, there are strengths which come through. There's a question, you know, is, is there anything unique about stammering? And there's a line of thinking, again, coming out of the US, which is looking at, actually, because of its unpredictability, stammering and and because of its its visible vulnerability when i stammer like that i've lost i have lost control of of how my mouth is is moving and and so it's a different way of speaking and if 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 i'm saying good morning brendan to you or hi bren how are you today and you say hey awesome ian and we just pass each other that's not really communication between two humans it's just a process that millions of people in the in the world go through every morning or millions of people in the uk go through every, every morning it's just a a kind of two people passing but if i say hey i'm a, 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 okay and i stammer then for the listener that isn't the response they expected it's breaking that process and 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 suggesting oh that person's a bit different and and in and inviting a different sort of response which might be hey, awesome, goodbye, or it might be, oh, you know, hi, how are you then? You know, it just breaks that. So there's this thinking around, is there this, what, this stammering game that by showing or by 
speaking in a vulnerable way and showing that vulnerability, it's inviting a different sort of response and perhaps a more vulnerable response, which then leads to a proper connection and proper communication between two people. Mm. Now, I think that work needs a bit more you know, time invested in it, but I think it's a really interesting space in this business world where actually everybody's rushing around and there are these sound bites and no, in, there's not enough listening, there's too much speaking and actually asking the question, what is good communication at work? What is good spoken communication? I think stammering can get to the core of that because it, it says, I speak differently and therefore you actually, unfortunately or fortunately, your brain therefore needs to listen differently. And, and that, that sort of moves us into, so what's going on for the listener here while, while I'm stammering? That's really interesting. I, th I think, yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of there is so much written now around asking the right types of questions as a way of kind of getting to better outcomes and, and solutions and listening. And the idea that, that stammering could be part of that conversation is, is a really interesting one. And I, I certainly hadn't, what you were saying about the intersection between gender and stammering as well, I think a lot of people would find that really really interesting as well particularly as more and more organizations are starting to look at intersectionality many will have thought about the experiences of disabled women for example but i'm sure very few would have thought about the experience of women who who stammer but just going back to you were talking about the experience of the listener and i've heard you talk about this before most people will come to stammering particularly if they're coming out to it you know for the first time and be thinking about well how does it impact on people and you know where mm. does it come from and you know some of the kind of things that you were saying about is it hereditary and those kind of things but but i've heard you say before you know it's really there are these two communities and actually the the 99 percent of people who don't stammer you know are also a really significant part of this equation i wonder if you could talk to me a bit more about that absolutely you know in every conversation there's a speaker and there's a listener and I think the conversation around stammering tends to focus way too much on the people who are stammering because they're also the, the listener. And as, as much as I speak, spoke about what the, the, the differences in the stammering brain and, and actually how the brain is responding as I, as I stammer, then for the, for the listening elements of the brain, research is showing that the emotional elements of the brain are experiencing stress when they hear a stammered voice, a stammering voice. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, there's a little, there, there are quite a number of nuances around that. Probably the most significant is that if the listener is, has heard a stammered voice before or, or is actually quite used to hearing a stammered voice, then that emotional response will feel less stress for the listener. But I think what that says for the listener is it's perfectly normal to feel uncomfortable when a stammered voice, stammering voice comes towards you because actually your brain is, listening is a complicated thing as well. And, and, and your brain is suddenly having to listen in a completely different way because the sound you thought you were gonna hear when Ian opened his mouth has come out rather differently. Not wrong, <laughs> not badly, just differently, you know. And, and actually I'm hearing something that I didn't expect to hear and that's, that's stressful. So I think, in, in what does that mean in the world of work? I think if we can help people who don't stammer, you know, the 99% to, to recognize that and think, hey, I'm feeling a bit stressed here, I'm sweating a bit actually, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking away or I'm looking differently and, or I'm thinking, gosh, should I interrupt him? Should I finish his sentence for him? All this stuff going on in my head, that's normal. 
So I think that we can really help the listeners and, and through helping the listeners change workplace culture to be more confident and accepting of stammering by um, investing time, not only with the people who stammer, the 1%, but with the 99% who don't. And I think it's relatively straightforward. You know, I think if we understand what's going on, then we're a long way there to coping with the feelings and emotions we have. As you're saying that, I mean, there's a real the kind of connection between stammering and, and where it fits with something like the social model of, of disability, which, of course, focuses on the external environment of the source of the disadvantage that people with you know, yeah. whatever type of disability uh, or, or impairment have. So I guess really that's the barrier for the, that, you, that you're talking about there. And it's the reaction and, and response of other people and people's own feelings of, of, of discomfort and hearing the stammering voice. Yeah, and I, and I, exactly. And I think a big pivotal moment for me was when I went to a workshop at the what's called the Oxford Disfluency Conference, which is really for academics and speech and language therapists who work in the world of stammering. And with the whole sort of focus of that conference to be how can we make or help people who stammer become more fluent. And within this conference was this workshop that I went to that was all about the social model. And was really challenging that and saying, well, actually, as therapists, should we be trying to fix a problem or should we just be trying to help the individual develop and accept and embrace and even celebrate their stammer? You know, moving into what is really quite an active stammering pride movement now. Mm -hmm. um, and, actually out, and actually, the work I do around stammering at work is very consistent with the social model. You know, as, as, as you say, it's about... Um, the environment. It's it's about the culture. It's about understanding the, the, the barriers that are in place. I mean, I just sort of picked up this book, Stammering Pride and Prejudice, which I have a chapter in, which which is the, really the, the, my journey of stammering with work. But this this book came out last year, and it its underlying theme is the social model of uh, of disability, and 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 indeed the opening forward is is from Mike Oliver, um, and specifically written for this book. Great. Ian, we'll definitely make sure that we include a link to the to the book in the notes for the for the podcast. And I want to ask you now about. Well, I want to move on to fifty million voices yeah, because I mean our kind of I guess sort of mutual interest the where they where they cut across is in disability as a as a global business issue. But you had been speaking about this at um, our recent global conference, and on that issue of the the listener, I remember you had shared some some really interesting details about how that varies from, from country to country. So the reactions of, of, of people listening to, to somebody who stammers actually will differ depending on, on, on where they're from. Yeah, yeah. so this is some in, uh, interesting research, again, which has come out of the US, but it, it looked at how different cultures, and in this case, it was uh, the listener in, listeners in the US and listeners in China, and how they responded to hearing and, and seeing, a, stutter, seeing a, a, a person stutter. So this was um, stuttering shown on video. And apparently when we um, are listening to somebody, we will look, there are four areas of the face. There's the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and the rest really. And normally we will look at the eyes. What, what, what they found in this research in the US was that people stopped, the listeners stopped looking at the eyes of the person stammering and looked at the mouth. They were quite fascinated by what's going on with the mouth. Um, and actually the, the, the Chinese listeners looked away completely. So now, as ever, in relatively small 
um, groups of, of uh, that that were um, surveyed, if you like, um, but enough of a difference to suggest definitely worth further research. And I think it's really interesting because if you're in a multinational, it does mean that if you're um, interested in in helping people understand uh, what's going on with stammering, whether it's customers and clients who stammer, or suppliers, or or, you, or, you, or your own people. And I definitely stretch that into different ways of speaking, whether it's different accents, different pitch, different speed of speaking. You know, everybody speaks differently. Um, if, if, if you're trying to understand speech difference and the impact that's having on the way your business works, perhaps then there are cultural differences in that. So, so the way you might approach it in North America could be very different in China or other parts of the world. And understanding those cultural differences would be part of the key to unlocking that um, ability to hear every voice in an equal way so that some voices aren't don't predominate in certain meetings and other voices are ignored simply because of a stammer or an accent or some or, or some other difference so in terms of just focusing on those on those voices and the and the variety of voices tell us tell us more about about 50 million voices where did the idea come from and and, and where are you at well, I was um, in 2018, there was a, a global conference on stuttering and cluttering in Hiroshima, 650 uh, attendees. And, and I was very um, grateful to be given a, a speaking slot on the main stage. It had Japanese interpreters and everything. So it was a wonderful opportunity to share what we'd been doing in the UK to support people who stammer in work and, and, and support their employers as well, because we quickly realized you had to get the employers on board if you're gonna change culture and get that support. And I was overwhelmed at, by the response to my talk. So many people came up to me afterwards from different countries. And I just say to them, you know, they said, can I have your slides? I say, yeah, of course, but let's, let's, let's do a bit more than that. Let, let's stay in touch. And it, it was a real, and I, as I, I'd, I'd left EY about six months earlier, um, wanting to spend more time working with stammering work. And I thought, well, actually what I did at EY, a lot of it was to build global teams and run global audits. So why don't I try and build a global team of stuttering leaders from around the world? And honestly, there were about eight or nine contact uh, people I got to meet through, through the conference in Hiroshima. Um, and then last, February, March, uh, we launched it. We called it 50 Million Voices. Called it 50 Million because uh, with this, um, I'd worked out using UN data that there were 50 million people at, at least. And I, and I used the word voices because actually the Hiroshima conference had been called One World, Many Voices. And I love that sense of, of, of these stuttering voices all over the world being united really. Um, so that's where the name came from. We launched it and really I thought this is going to either fly, fly or crash very quickly. We had a couple of Zoom meetings. Everybody's giving their time for free. And who is it? It's, it's now grown to 15 countries. I've had to cap it. And, and we share what we're doing. So uh, whether it's awareness material that, that's been developed in the UK or the US or India for employers, or whether it's uh, mentoring um, material that we developed for a pilot that we ran in the UK, or some wonderful stuff that's coming out of uh, France at the moment. Ireland have appointed an employment officer, the Irish Stammering Association, just to focus on employment. So lots is going on. Israel have now run a pilot mentoring program on the back of what we've done here. And, and so there's lots going on. A year into it, we're now looking at having a proper grown-up strategy. We clearly work closely with some employers already, um, particularly EY in, in the UK and the US. 
um, and, and PwC in, in, in Paris, and then Goldman and SNBC Bank are active in, in New York. So some really great employers there, great multinationals. And now um, I'm really keen to find further international and multinational employers who perhaps a little bit bolder around their diversity inclusion strategy are looking beyond the obvious and would would be would would like to meet some of our um, country leaders so each country is represented by somebody from the stuttering association from from their country board often it's the chairman and to work with those local leaders and you have to have that leadership locally the a is of leadership caliber and b understand stuttering uh, to work with employers to run whether it's awareness sessions uh, generally whether it's recruitment workshops whether it's interview practice sessions for people who stutter lots of ideas um, and i'm getting a lot of very positive noises about that because it, i think it's, it's easy to understand it's inexpensive to put on and there's a win-win there it's great it's fascinating to hear about how that how you kind of these eight people then turn to to 15 and you have these global stuttering leaders and so is it like is there a commonality between you is there a, I mean you're the, you're the journey that you described at the top of the conversation that sounds like a pretty a pretty unique so I'd be surprised if there was an Ian Wilkie in Argentina and, and, and France <laughs> but what, what, can you give us a, a flavor of what are, what are the backgrounds for these leaders have they come through different routes yeah uh, well they're all they're all very different um, different cultures different um, attitudes towards um, disability at, at at work and, and, and speech differences at work. Uh, in some countries, uh, stammering and stuttering is regarded as a disability and therefore um, that comes with, with um, various positives and negatives. Um, in, in, in other countries, um, it's not regarded as a disability, which again has generally negative impact because you, it, it's just harder to get, um, to get noticed um, and therefore to achieve change. So all very different, but a, a, a few examples in, in France, who really had done very little around stam, stammering, stuttering at work until 18 months ago. They have a couple of young leaders, uh, one of whom works in government and the other works for PwC. And together they've got themselves onto the board of the French Stuttering Association. And they are just tremendous game changers. And, and it's a really great example of leadership if it really can bring other people with you. Um, so they've uh, run a, a significant uh, speaking program that, that's, that's been national across France, um, and they're trying to achieve other changes within their employers as well. Um, in Israel, a different again, they've adopted or they've um, aspects of a mentoring pilot, which we ran in the UK, a mentoring pilot for people who stutter, teamed up with, with a local recruitment business. And a lovely example there is a, a guy who's 45 years old, hasn't been in work for 15 years, lives at home with his parents, has a severe stutter, as a direct result of that mentoring program, has got himself a job. And to me, you know, we can talk about changing the world, but for that, one, for that man, his world has changed. You know, he's now got employment, and the impact of that on his, not only his work, but his relationships would be significant. India, very dynamic leadership team there as well. Um, doing work with um, presentations and events with large global employers. And, um, and in Ireland, I'd never done very much about stammering at work, the Irish Stammering Association, 
but since coming into 50 million voices they've been inspired to start running workshops in uh, Dublin and Cork um, uh, um, around um, stuttering at work and they've um, created a new um, position in the Irish Stammering Association so they now have an employee who is their employment uh, manager and her role is to build up the offer that the Irish Stammering Association has for people who stammer but also for employers as well. So different cultures, different um, starting points um, but really exciting. And just listening to the the, the, the range of activities that, that you mentioned there, I mean I'm really struck by the power of bringing those leaders together in terms of sharing best practices between the, between them, and I can imagine then that some of those initiatives will then be piloted and, and rolled out in, in some of the other countries that you're working with. Exactly. So, so there are countries, say like the US, that have done a lot more, and and very generous in sharing, you know, and um, and doing it in a, in, a, in, a, in a sensitive way as well. And and what I mean by that is not only through the monthly Zoom meetings that we have, but taking time really mentoring you know um, over the phone and, and, and sharing whatever um, the leader in the US can share um, and, and, and I think that's that's what we try to do from the UK as 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 well there are other you know countries in Africa of which there are four are all starting really from from ground zero so very you know very underfunded um, but they're good leaders there you know and and we will and and, and they will um, they, they, are, they are making progress. An interesting example from one of those countries is a young man in one of them didn't get a promotion um, recently. It's the second or third time he's been up for this particular promotion. He's found out unofficially he didn't get it because he has a stutter. And the leader, the stuttering leader in that country is now saying, I'm not gonna accept that. I'm gonna go to that multinational and we're gonna have a, and I want to, create a program for them to educate them about about stuttering and so we're just talking with him about how best to approach that and what do we already have materials and, and approaches that we found effective both you know in the UK and the and and the US but clearly he knows his culture and we and, and we don't so but I think what we can do is sort of arm people with confidence and, and our own experience and then um, help them navigate to to achieve that change amazing like the there's clearly an appetite for that kind of uh, the kind of collaboration that you that the forum is offering for the for those leaders and so you, you talked a bit about some of the the ways that employers can benefit by working with with 50 million voices so i wondered if you could just expand a little bit on how, how can 50 million voices help employers but also i know from working with the businesses that that, that we partner with that actually they're just as keen to support organizations like ours and, and like yours. So how, how can they benefit from working with you, but also how can they support 50 million voices? I, I think the benefit is if, if every one of the, every multinational will have many people in your organization who stammer, who stutter, most of them will be hiding it as much as possible because culturally throughout the world, stammering is regarded as being a weakness, or as the NHS described it, let me go to my notes, a, a problem, a speech problem. And actually that can go very deep, you know, and it's not only, I mean, it, it, it isn't, I mean, it isn't only in faraway countries, but by way of example, in the last eight days, I've had a message on Twitter, direct message from a guy in India who tells me 
he's been in his job for 10 years and he's just been sacked because of his stutter has got a lot worse recently and he's been sacked and and what do i advise um, so clearly i've put him in touch with the indian stammering association which is a really well-led stammering association which is part of 50 million voices and i didn't mention them before but they're doing some really super stuff i've heard about a man in one of the african countries and i won't mention it but works for a multinational who's been up in front of a promotion panel a number of times now and has been rejected even though he's more than qualified to get that promotion and he has been told off the record that he doesn't get it because he because he stammers um, and at the same time out of the blue i, I received a, a linkedin request from somebody in the uk who said and I didn't know who this person was. I looked at their profile. It was very skimpy. And I thought, hmm, I'm going to ask. So I sent an email back and basically said, well, you know, who are you? And this beautiful message came back from a lady. She said, well, I've been following your work for a number of years. My son has a stammer. He really struggles to get a job. The work you and others have done for stammering at work has really inspired him. And he's now got a job. And I just want to say thank you. So, um, so what does that all add up to? It means that there's so much unfulfilled talent out there, people who started who are losing their jobs and not getting promoted, um, or, or who are getting jobs where the culture's right. And, and, and so I think there's, there's potential to be unleashed. And if, and if you doubt that, then the chief exec of Barclays, um, Jeff Staley, he has, he has a stammer, so you can get to the right to the top. Um, Joe Biden, who may even become US president, has a stammer. You can get right to the top. Um, Jack Welsh, who was voted by Forbes magazine, the businessman of the 20th century, ran GE for many years. Jack Welsh had a has a stammer. So, you know, people who stammer can be very, very successful in business. So I think that's sort of one area. I think the other area that you can benefit is Actually, if you get on the front foot, you can attract a lot of people who stammer into, into your organization who will bring those strengths with them. And in the changing world of work, you do need strengths that are like creative, better listeners, empathy, resilient. Those, those emotional intelligence skills are going to be even more important going forward. Um, and thirdly, I do think it opens up this really interesting conversation about what is good communication at work? Is it always making a slick presentation or is it actually communicating in your own way in your own accent with your own choice of words and stuttering stuttering well as you go you know and, and i think ultimately so much of business is about trust and you establish trust when you put your authentic self into the room because people feel it and they feel lack of authenticity when the presentation is slick and it's over rehearsed and it's jargonistic and they don't feel you've really communicated so I, I i think there are three things there unleash talent workplace of the future the strengths of people who stammer but also what is good communication at work and this conversation goes way beyond way beyond stammering thank you ian you're talking about you know, real communication that's such a an, an articulate kind of summary of not just i mean the injustices that people who who stammer experience in in the real world but actually some of the you know the broader benefits of getting things right and improving things not just for individuals but for for businesses and i think that linked to some of the wider issues that the business are interested in around communication you know and, and more impactful interactions i think 
is a really potential avenue to a really potential powerful avenue to to explore we are recording this on the 23rd of march so we are in the midst of of the coronavirus uh, crisis so i'm here in 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 lockdown in in spain you're in london which you know where the restrictions are increasing by by the day and now homeworking is 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 becoming the new reality for many people so i just wondered what are the implications for people that stammer are are there any particular uh, implications for people that stammer in this new world of of remote work so for people who stutter often find uh, speaking using the telephone to be particularly challenging and the video conference as as well so as millions of people are moving from office working into remote working over these very difficult time for us or for everybody i mean then that does pose particular challenges for people who stutter who are going to be required to do much more um, communication by telephone so my encouragement is for uh, people who stutter to make their colleagues aware or their clients aware that that we do stutter because for every every person speaker there's a listener but equally importantly for people um, listening to you know to to be patient to to give more time so an example might be interviews which which to date may have been done face to face and now going to telephone certainly in the uk it's 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 a reasonable workplace adjustment to ask for more time and and because ultimately the interviewer is just trying to get the best from from the candidate um equally if if people are chairing online meetings or telephone meetings, for the chair to ensure that everybody gets a chance to speak, not just the loud, the loud noisy voices, and, and particularly if, if somebody who stutters does have a chance to get in, because in my experience, even now, when I'm you know, fluent really, um, it's sometimes it, it's just that getting in with that first word can be really hard. And, and then other times I might try and say a word and it just doesn't come. And this has happened to me on the phone, even in the last, few months where I've I've tried to speak and the person on the other end of the phone thinks I've gone and I haven't I'm just trying to get that word out and suddenly the phone goes dead and it it's not a good moment so I think what I'm asking for or suggesting is you know I guess openness on the part of people that stutter feel you can share you have a stutter but more importantly for chairs of meetings and other participants in in, in meetings just be aware that hey often it's the quiet people that have the best points I'm not, you know, I'm not saying always, but often different perspective of listening to the whole conversation and come in with that really valuable contribution. So please help help us get into those conversations. Yeah, that's it's really important, I think, to flag the experiences of people that that stammer, particularly in the in, under these challenging circumstances. I was actually on LinkedIn this morning, and an associate of BDF, who I'm sure you'll know as, as well, Ian Joanna Wooten, had had written a. a brilliant article really technical and detailed argument uh, article rather about for deaf people about uh, working from home so how can you maximize the potential of um, video conferencing if you're relying on captioning or, or sign language interpreters so I, I just wondered if, if you or the team of 50 million voices had any plans to to do anything specific in terms of guidance or advice yeah certainly i mean it's it, it it's early days so what we've done so far is to um, organize a an additional uh, country leaders meeting which will be taking place this coming Sunday really just to share what the different countries are, are, are doing around um, the COVID-19 virus so we clearly had a, a lot of national events have been 
cancelled or, or postponed and and, uh, and and people who stutter will have looked I mean for, for many people who go to those events it's a really major part of their year you, you know to, to actually have two or three days together where the Madras majority of people stutter so and actually they're lovely warm um, events so people will miss that and and then to um to you know to, to to so to share so so the british so the british stammering association um i know have been encouraging people to use their helplines much more to use their web chat much more the indian stammering association is encouraging people to use time when they're not able to go to events to reflect on the health of our relationship with our stammer so anyway so we're going to have a a a, a, a meeting that will cover that but also cover self-care and as people have to need to work and be spending more time at home, sometimes alone, uh, particularly if, if people you know don't live with a family, then um, then how they're coping with that. So that's our first response. Secondly, uh, we have a sharing platform that we use Slack for, and we've set up a separate discussion channel on that specifically for COVID nineteen. So one of the things that's in there is an article from a chap called Alan Tara, who runs a really good website called Stammering Law. Um, and just looking at this issue actually around telephone working and what what the legal situation may be both for employer and employee around that, or for example, around asking for extra time in meetings and in uh, recruitment interviews, that sort of thing. And, and and the third thing we're doing really is just encourage people to reach out to each other because there there is this risk of, of becoming very isolated. And certainly myself in the last week, you know, had a lot of very big news coming at us all the time in the UK and, and it's pretty confusing. And, and so, yeah, just to remember that uh, people are out there and, and, and to connect, you know, and, and so that uh, individual um, support, I think, is perhaps the most important thing. We're going to find other ways for, for, for BDF and, uh, and 50 million voices to, to collaborate. And I know that many of our, our, our members of the Global Task Force are keen to, to learn more and to, and to interact with you. So we'll certainly be doing more in the future. But for those individuals or, or organizations that would like to get in touch with you or learn more about 50 million voices in the meantime, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure, that, well, there's a little bit more on our, it's only a one page website because we're just getting, getting going on that sort of thing, which is uh, www.50millionvoices.org. Um, or you can email me at, which is chair at 50millionvoices.org. Great. Well, look, we'll include those details again in the in the notes that go out with this with this podcast. But Ian, thank you for for taking the time and and sharing your experiences and and the work of, of Fifty Million Voices with us. It's been really good to catch up with you, and uh, yeah, wishing you all the best for for the for the coming months. Likewise, Brendan. Uh, all the best to BDF and the Global Task Force. Thank you. If you enjoyed the conversation, please like, share and review the podcast and don't forget to subscribe. To keep up to date with all of our latest news, take a look at our website, which is businessdisabilityforum.org.uk.